If you would turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, picking up where we left off last week. Beginning in verse 1, and again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it, on the sea, or sat in it, on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, behold, or listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds, uh, let's see, I'm jumping all over here, by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no crops." But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60, and some 100. Verse 9, and he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we pray, as we always do, Lord, that we would have minds that are able to comprehend and hearts that are open to your word and to you, Lord. Whenever we say your word, we're, we're also looking at the author, the one who inspired these things to be written. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us as we consider this parable that most of us are very familiar with. But we pray, Lord, that we might be able to see it today, perhaps with fresh eyes or fresh perspective. We pray that you would teach us. We pray, Lord, for any that are ill, that are under the weather, they're unable to be here with us. We pray that you would minister to them. We ask, Lord, that you'd bring healing to their bodies. We pray for those that are among us, perhaps they're downcast or discouraged or feeling defeated. Lord, again, we pray that you would minister to each one as only you can. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the parable of the sower familiar portion of scripture in fact as you consider it you know you say well this is this is the chief parable I mean this is the parable that Jesus says if you if you don't understand this parable you really won't be able to understand any of his other parables and we'll see that as we read on in a few minutes here but this particular parable it deals with by the way a parable is something where you take a a commonly known truth, you know, principle to man, and you lay it aside, uh, a spiritual truth. So Jesus seeking to teach a spiritual, spiritual truth, he uses an illustration that the people would understand. The people would understand a farmer. A farmer, he's got his basket with seed in it, and he's walking along, and he's taking his hand and casting the seed out on the ground. And anyone that lived there in the Galilee would say, oh, yes, we've seen this many times, or we've done this many times ourselves, you know, we're familiar with this. But of course, Jesus was speaking, not of farming, but he was speaking of something much more important than than farming. Guys, many times we see Jesus using parables to explain uh, spiritual principles. Remember when Jesus met with Nicodemus, and he said to Nicodemus, I mean, just right off the bat, I mean, Nicodemus just gets done, you know, saying, uh, we know that you're from God, for no one could do the things you do unless God was with him. And Jesus immediately says, you must be born again. And it just, you know, really threw uh, Nicodemus for a loop. He says, I, I don't even understand what you just said. What does that mean? And we know he didn't understand because he went on to say, I'm an old man. How could I enter a second time into my mother's womb? I mean, he just, he was thinking in the natural. He wasn't thinking in the spiritual but Jesus many times will use illustrations so that we might be able to grasp 
the spiritual implication or, or understanding of what he's saying. So we have the scene, Mark gives us the scene here that Jesus, once again, you know, wherever Jesus went, no doubt there was a crowd gathered. They wanted to see what he would do or hear what he would say. And so the crowd is gathered and, and they're by the Sea of Galilee, which you know is a, a freshwater lake. And um, so there's a boat there. So Jesus gets up into the boat so he doesn't get crushed by the multitude. Because you can imagine many would probably be pushing in, you know. Uh, maybe some would say, listen, we don't care about the teaching. We just want the healing, whatever it might be. So he gets in the boat. And so the multitude, they are there standing by the uh, shore. And they're looking out at the boat. And so Jesus has kind of this natural amplifier, isn't it interesting, you know, over the years we've had uh, little little sailboats. Uh, that's kind of a thing we would do. We, uh, I, I think the, Tracy found our first little sailboat uh, at a garage sale. It was called a sea witch. And it had on the, on the sail a witch's head, you know. And I said, well, I've got to redeem this thing somehow, you know. And, <laughs> and so we called it the Dawn Treader, those of you familiar with the... Uh, Yes, Lewis. And then, you know, we got rid of that one. And, and then I helped a guy frame a garage. And he said, well, I could pay you or, and he pulls his tarp off and he had a little sunfish sailboat. And I said, I'll take that, you know. And so we would take that. We would go over to the base, over here, seaplane base. We called it, our family called it the secret beach. Not that it was secret to anyone, but we would go over there and we would sail and it would be so fun. And then later on, uh, a family in the church actually got us this beautiful 16-foot sailboat. And we had so much fun in that. We would go out, we'd go out here, we'd go to the lakes even. And uh, there would be times when we'd have our whole family, so six of us, with our dog, Jake, our golden retriever standing on the front of the boat, you know, and we'd be sailing on the lake there. I picture the scene. It would be serene. People, we're here to, to see you, Jesus. We're here to hear what you have to say. And so he begins to speak to them, and he uses parables to speak to them. And you'll note how he began his parable and how he ended his parable. He began his parable, verse 3, with the word listen and behold. And then he ends his parable, look at verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he begins it and he ends it with really an exhortation. So the exhortation would be, listen, listen up, behold. And then he ends it with an invitation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what he was about to say. And so he gives the illustration. And so as you go through the uh, parable, it's easy to follow. You have three different locations where the seed fell upon the ground and it didn't produce any uh, fruit. We see first... The verse 4, look at verse 4. Some fell on the wayside. The wayside would be the hard, compact pathways, you know. You could throw the seed out there and it's not going to grow. It needs to be tilled up. It needs to be, you know, the soil needs to be soft so that the seed could take root. But the first illustration he gives that some of the seed, it fell by the, the wayside, that hard, compacted, well-traveled pathway. And it was not possible for the seed to uh, penetrate the ground, the hard soil. And so there was, as the parable declares, no root, no growth, no fruit. And then the second place, verse 5, some fell on the stony ground. So this ground would have looked, I mean, surely he wouldn't have sown seeds on rocks. It was, it was first appearance, it would appear to be good soil because it had a layer of, of uh, soil, a layer of dirt over it. Uh, the farmer, of course, you couldn't see that there were stones underneath the layer of dirt, and so the seed would, wouldn't be able to penetrate it. The, the stones would hold the moisture in and all, and, and so it was unfruitful. Little soil meant little moisture. Little moisture meant no root, no growth, 
no fruit, because there's no life. And then the third example he gives is in verse 7, some fell among the thorns. And so that's easy to picture. Thorns would, of course, choke out the little sprouts. So once again, no root, no growth, no fruit. But then, fortunately, because, you know, the parable is getting depressing about this time, so we need some good news. He tells us that other seed fell on good ground, and so we're glad to hear that. And when we consider the parable of the sower and the seed, we need to remember that the sower does not change in the parable. The seed does not change in the parable. The soil changes in the parable. And there was nothing wrong with the sower, and there was nothing wrong with the seed, The problem was with the soil. So that's obvious as you just read through it. So then Jesus goes on and he explains the purpose for parables. Look at verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him, now note that, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So guys, Jesus, even when he was alone, he wasn't alone. And many times as Christians, we could so simply think that, well, when Jesus wasn't with the multitude, it was just Jesus and the twelve. It was probably rarely just Jesus and the twelve. There were always others around him. And so these others and the twelve, as they leave the multitude, they ask him about this parable. And so this was his answer. He said to them, to you, now you'd feel really privileged if Jesus said this to you. And he has, if you're a believer. To you it has been given to know the mystery. The word mystery speaks of a hidden truth. Do you know that the New Testament speaks of many mysteries? So these are truths that were spoken of in the Old Testament, but now revealed in the New Testament, or better yet, revealed in Christ. So he says, to you it has been given to know the mystery Of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be be forgiven them. Now, guys, as I'm reading this, as you're listening to this, are, are you startled by this quotation? I mean, at face value, it seems like, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought I had you figured out. I thought that you wanted people to come to you so that they could be saved, so that they could see their sin, so that they could, you know, have ears to hear the truth of your word, and that they would turn to you and be saved. I thought that's what it was all about. Isn't that what the gospel's all about? That we're to go out and preach the gospel so that people could hear the gospel. The conviction of the Holy Spirit could come upon them. The word of God, the word of the gospel, the word of God can then begin to take root in their life. And people will respond either yay or nay to the gospel and be saved or lost. So it seems from Mark's gospel account, if this is all we had, we would be confused. Because it seems like parables are, are saying the very opposite from what we think it would appear that a parable was meant to keep people in the dark so we need some light right and you know guys we don't have just one gospel we don't have just one page in our bible we have many pages and so i'd like you to turn with me to isaiah chapter 6 to the source i'll give you kind of the background isaiah chapter 6 is when isaiah the prophet was called by the Lord and given his ministry. Remember chapter 6? That's that that beautiful picture of of the Lord that Isaiah sees. I'll give you a sampling of it in verse 2. Above it stood seraphim, and one had six wings, and and two covered his face, and with two uh, he covered his feet, and with two he flew And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Remember that whole thing? And then Isaiah, as he sees this, he is totally convicted. 
And he says, oh, man, I am a man of unclean lips. And, and then the, the angel comes and touches his, his mouth, touches, touches his lips with a coal from the, from the altar. And then he's given his marching orders. And so picking it up in verse 8, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? That's a reference to the Trinity, I believe. Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. So this is your mission, Isaiah. I want you to go and I want you to tell the people. I want you to speak to the people. And it says, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. You might be thinking to yourself, I thought you were going to clear up. Um, This just seems more confusing. It goes on, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and not turn, but return. Because, of course, this is speaking of Israel, right? And return and be healed. And you say, well, that, that's weird. You know what, guys? To understand the context, and you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, as you're listening, the context. Isaiah, this is your mission. It's almost like when God called Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah, I'm sending you. To the people, I'm sending you to Judah. You have a message to proclaim. But Judah, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah, I want you to know that they're not going to listen to you. So you preach, and they're not going to listen. They're not going to heed my word. They're not going to heed my counsel. And as you read through Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or really any of the prophets, the people love to hear from the false prophets. You know why? Because the false prophets were saying, peace, peace. Peace and safety, you know, everything's going to be okay, everything's good. And of course, that's just human nature, let's just keep it positive. And so the false prophets were saying, "Uh, you're not going into captivity. And then when they went into captivity, Jeremiah was there to say, I told you you were going into captivity. Now this is what you need to do. In fact, I'm giving you instructions so that you will survive this captivity, God is going to not only allow you to survive, but you're going to thrive in this captivity if you heed my words. It's the same thing with Isaiah. Isaiah would, their hearts would become dull because Isaiah would just keep proclaiming the word of God. And because they did not heed the word of God, their hearts became dull to the word of God. Listen, that same principle is true today. You come in, you sit down, the word of God is being taught. You don't honor it with your, your respect of the word of God. You, you hear it, but it's just a light thing to you. It's, you know, I hope this thing ends quickly. And you don't know, you don't realize that you are setting yourself up, that you are creating within your own self a dull heart that does not want to heed, cannot understand, cannot hear the word of God. And you're doing it to yourself. Nobody's doing this to you. You're doing it to yourself. In Matthew's gospel, reading the same quotation, and and of course, right after the same parable, this is what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 14. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Note that. It wasn't, I created you to have a dull heart. No, your heart has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Look at the next line. And their eyes, they have closed. God's not closing their eyes. God wanted Judah, God wanted Israel to heed his word, to do what he said, to be obedient. He wasn't closing their eyes. It was this dullness, this blindness, this this deafness that came upon them because they would not hear and heed the word of God. 
And then the, the quote goes on, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should, do you see the mark in your Bible? You have your Bibles, I hope, that they should or would kill them. See, it's not an iffy thing. The Lord is saying, oh, if you would just listen, if you would just listen to me, if you would listen, you would see that I have something to say. If you would listen, you would see that there is going to be growth. There's going to be fruit that comes from your life. If you take what I say, you heed what I say, you apply what I say. Well, then Jesus goes on and he explains this parable. Now, guys, if you're familiar with the parables of Jesus, you know that Jesus did not explain his parables. He simply spoke his parables. So here he explains the parable in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So then he goes on to explain it. Now, as we move on in Mark's gospel and we look at other parables of Jesus you're going to see as I teach through those, and, and you might say, well, wait a minute, that's not what I heard in the last church I was in. Because I think it's ironic that Jesus tells us precisely that, that this parable, this is why he gives the explanation of the parable, that this particular parable is the blueprint to understand the other parables. And yet, many times when you get to the other parables, it's almost as if They've ripped up the blueprint. They've thrown away <laughs> the instructions. And so now they're interpreting the parables, and you'll see it. I'll point it out as we move on in the weeks to come. So he says, look at verse 14, the sower sows the word. So we see right away, well, here's the explanation. Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples on farming. He was teaching his disciples on something spiritual. The sower, he sows the word. It's the word of God. Verse 15, And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So where was it sown? The word is sown in the heart. So again, it's not soil. So it's not, a, it's not about soil. It's not about dirt. It's about heart. It's about hearing. It's about understanding. It's about receiving the word, not seed, in the heart, not soil. Satan, well, he's just simply doing what he does. This is what Satan does. Jesus told us that the thief does not come, speaking of Satan, he does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. By the way... That's a scripture you might want to mark in your Bible and you might want to remind yourself of it many times in your life. He is a thief. He could care less that you've placed your faith in Christ. You understand that. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. You have a good marriage? Well, let him get involved. Let's see how good that marriage goes or how fastly it sinks. He wants to destroy. He wants to steal. He wants to, he wants to take away from. And he's always working. He's always looking for a weak link. I'm convinced in any family he's looking for a weak link. I, I, I need to watch it. Last service, I, I took way too much time because I told too many stories or used too many illustrations, so I need to be careful of that. But, but I'll tell you, if you are raising kids... You need to understand that some of your kids may not believe. They may go astray. They may do things that will keep you up at night because they're not following the Lord. And the absolute worst thing you can do as a Christian parent is stop marching forward in Christ. Because you send this this message to your children, the message is this, that Jesus is only sufficient in smooth sailing. When things are easy, when things are calm, Jesus, well, he's not the answer. When you're facing a storm, you need a professional for that. 
You need a counselor for that. You say, Dan, you sound a little sarcastic. I, I, I know I do. I, 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 um, I shouldn't take it personally because it's not against me, but it is against my Lord. I, I think it's so horrible how many of God's people today, many who profess to be Christians, we can say with our lips that Jesus is enough, but we don't believe it. We, we think, well, Jesus plus. Jesus and maybe a little of this and a little of that. We need help, you know. And I'm convinced that the Lord, you know, because he's a perfect gentleman, he's never forced me to do anything I don't want to do. It's almost as if when we say, you know, well, I'll go to this, Jesus just kind of backs off and says, that's okay. I'll be here. I'll be here when you return. Not to rub your face in it, but but just simply show you that I am the answer. So if you're raising children, you need to stay the course. You need to have convictions. You need to look the same when you're at church or around Christians as you do when you're alone in your home where your children see you and hear you and watch the way you live because they're watching us. They want to see if it's genuine. They want to see if it's real. In your marriage... Sometimes I feel like people prepare for divorce more than they do for a successful marriage. You know, I, uh, I, I think I've officiated not a ton, but maybe a little over 50 weddings since we've been up here. And um, it's not a priority of mine. We don't ever marry people outside of the church. You know, a lot of, we used to get calls all the time because people say, oh, what a cute little chapel overlooking the harbor, you know. Wouldn't that be a great spot to get married? And so they would call, you know, and yes, we'd like to schedule a marriage. And I said, well, we're, actually, we're a church. We're not a, med, a wedding chapel, you know. And, and uh, well, okay, what do we need to do, you know? I said, well, we don't marry people unless they're a part of the fellowship. And if they're a part of the fellowship, then we want them to go through pre-marriage counseling. Okay, well, how long does that take? You know, it's almost like (laughs) I'll jump through whatever hoops I need to jump through, you know. Because, but of course, in pre-marriage counseling, what what are we doing as as pastors taking couples through pre-marriage counseling? On one hand, if we could convince a couple that they probably shouldn't be married, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. I mean, if in marriage counseling, as you're dealing with things and they start saying, wow, this is serious, this is a serious thing. Yeah, it's serious. It is a covenant before God. This is something you're not to take lightly. I mean, I, I can even recite my, my marriage uh, vow, you know, the things that I have for, for the couples. And I emphasize that. This is a covenant. This is a binding, lifelong covenant. You know, people, yes, yes, yes. Because nobody is thinking necessarily of divorce on their wedding day. But too many couples do not live their life so that they could be the wife that God has called them to be or the husband that God has called the husbands to be. And so it begins to break down. And so as Christians, then we begin to sound like everyone else in the world, which is um, really ridiculous for God's people to say. Things like, I was young when I got married. I like that one. That one's always used, and I always say to the couple, how old were you when you got married? And they tell me their age. And then I say, how old are you now? And they tell me. And I said, well, you're not too young now. See, these, these scarecrows that we kind of push up so we could knock them down. You know, Here's a legitimate thing. I got married. So what are you saying? So you got married when you were 18. So now you're 30. So you want to end this divorce so you could go live like an 18-year-old? I mean, honestly, what's happening here, you know? Rather than say, no, this is a commitment. Guys, this is why it's so important that you're saying, well, I don't see marriage here. Why, you, you know, you're just going off the cuff. Listen, the word of God deals with every topic. Everything we'll face in life. Everything. And we, and we don't, listen, the Bible deals with global warming. Do you know that? So you say, 
you know, that's what I don't like about you pastors, man. You just, you know, you're mocking stuff like this. And we know science tells us, you know what, but my Bible tells me. So I'm not concerned about it. Because I know how it's going to end. And it's not going to end in 12 years the way your scientists are telling you it's going to end. That's bunk. Because the God who created it is the God who sustains it, who holds all things together, and who will end it the way he says he will end it. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It doesn't say there will be, you know, a nuclear explosion. And No. He says the old heaven and the old earth will pass away. He says that through John in his epistle. And he says that, of course, in the book of Revelation. The, the, the Bible deals with everything. It deals with pharmakia. Do you know that? Boy, vaccinations and... Uh, oh, I can't, I said the word. Well, there goes our, our live uh, feed, maybe. <laughs> I don't care. But, you know, you say, oh, you know, yeah, the Bible is this archaic book. No, the Bible tells the future before it comes so that when it comes, we may recognize that he is God. And he knows what's happening. He knows how things are coming together. And so, listen, we could have peace. We could have the sense of stability in our life if we're people of the Word of God. If we're reading the Word of God, if we're studying the Word of God, we're believing the Word of God. Satan's going to come and he's going to try to rip us off. But we don't have to be victims to Satan. We don't have to. It goes on. Look at verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. Oh man. Let me tell you, that's always exciting. If you're truly a born again Christian, there are a few things as exciting as seeing someone come to faith in Christ. It is so moving. You know, whenever we would go to, uh, you know, evangelistic outreaches, you know. Whenever people would get up and go for it, man, I'd just start to cry. Because you say, look, at they're starting their new life. New life in Christ. Isn't this wonderful? But of course, it doesn't end there. Verse 17, though they received it immediately with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time, Afterward, when tribulation, well, what's tribulation? It's, it's, it's not the tribulation. Tribulation, the word means pressure or affliction. Christian, have you been walking with the Lord long enough to know that pressure and affliction is part of life and is even part of the Christian life? We're not exempt from it. So we shouldn't be thrown into a tizzy when pressure and affliction comes into our life. It goes on. It says afterward, when tribulation or persecution, persecution, it speaks of being driven away, arise. Look what it says, for the word's sake. For what sake? The word's sake. Guys, I want you to think through this. I believe the word. I trust in the word. Therefore, I make decisions based upon my understanding of the word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit as he gives me conviction. And so therefore, we're not doing this in our home. We're not allowing this there. We're not going to these places because, because we, we have convictions about these things. I asked the first service, I'll ask you the same thing. But what did you give up when you came to Christ? And I asked the question because there are things we give up and we give up willingly and gladly when we come to Christ. And the reason we give them up is not because, hopefully not because you're in a church that says you need to give up these things. Here's the list of don'ts, so make sure you apply to them. I, we don't have such a list. But because you're a person of the word, as you're reading the word of God, the spirit of God is convicting your heart. And there are certain things you just say, it's got to go, it's got to go, it's got to go. Listen, if you're getting loaded, if you're smoking pot and it's legal and you're justifying it because it's legal, but you're a, you're a, 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 a Christian or you're drinking, you're boozing it up, you're in sin. You're in sin. So what do we do when we're in sin? Repent. Acknowledge it and repent. Turn from it. Acknowledge it. I'm talking about, you know, 
just because something is legal, you know what else is legal? Abortion is legal. Could you justify that? No. It's a horrible thing that's happening. God loves his people. But when a person is truly born again and we have the spirit of God and we're, we're rooted in the word of God, there are certain things that have to go. I mean, maybe they don't leave the day that you receive Christ. Maybe it's over a period of time. But eventually you will get there. Eventually you'll get to the place where you'll, I mean, maybe it might be just this. I don't know that I want to be seen in front of the pot shop by people that I go to church with. Or maybe, maybe it will be, you know, I was reading in Ephesians and it says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it will be something like that. See, it's the word of God is convicting your heart. You're saying, I don't need booze. I don't need pot. I don't need a pill. I don't need the pharmacia. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And I know some of you are probably getting so mad right now. Oh, you don't know. You don't understand. I do know. I do understand. And I know the damage that these types of things do to lives. We've seen it. I grew up in a family that was damaged by these things. My own immediate family has been damaged in many ways by these things. These things become a snare. And there is no stopping them. And you get to a point where you say, I'm under control, I got this under control, I got this under control. I'm telling you, there's nobody that finds themselves flat on their face, lost everything, that doesn't have the ability to look back and say, I thought, that, I, thought I had this under control, and I didn't have it under control. It had me under control, this thing. And as a child of God, you say, well, I just don't have the strength. Are you in the word of God? Are you rooted in the word of God? Are you turning to the Lord? Are you praying to him? Are you saying, Holy Spirit, would you give me strength? Are you in one sense putting the Lord to the test? Lord, you promised abundant life. I'm so depressed. Why should I need this or that to get me through the day? You don't need this or that to get you through the day. It's because, you know, guys, it's so sad because we cheat ourselves. We do it to ourselves. It's almost as if we just dabble in the things that we should give ourselves to. And then the things we, we really shouldn't be dabbling in at all. You know, we give ourselves to those things and those things become the controlling factor of our lives. And it should not be that way. I'm speaking to you because you're adults. I'm speaking to you as adults. I'm speaking to you as people. Listen, I'm sorry if it offends or it hurts your feelings. Oh, speaking of offending, let me go on. I better keep to this. Or, so, uh, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only a time afterwards when tribulation or persecution arise. For the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Do you know what the word stumble used here means? It means to be offended. I'm offended. How dare you? How dare you correct me in that area? Listen, I don't, you know, I don't. uh, It means to offend. It means to trip up, to entice to sin. And it carries with it the word apostasy. Do you know what apostasy means? To depart. This is what Jesus says. The seed is sown. The seed is sown. The seed is sown. Listen to me. There's not a person who's ever lived that will stand before the Lord one day and say, I've got a really good excuse why I didn't accept you as my Lord and Savior. Because there are no good excuses for that. I am thankful that the Lord, as my Heavenly Father, offends me with conviction. I am so glad that my Heavenly Father will say to me, you know, just impress. He doesn't speak in my ears. He died. I've never heard an audible voice. Some claim to hear things like that. I, I have never heard anything like that. But I know when he speaks to my heart, you know, maybe you're being prideful. Or maybe you're just being, you know, resistant. Or, or maybe you're whatever. 
And he just kind of speaks that into my heart. And you know what? I've learned over the years of walking with the Lord. I don't argue with them. I don't try to defend it. I don't try. I just, yes, Lord, you're right. You're right, Lord. Oh, change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. You know, guys, the longer we walk with Jesus and the longer we live with ourselves, there should be this, this realization. And that is me, ek. Him, yay. He's the one, you know. He, he's the one. Without him, oh, you know, we, the, with, uh, but for the grace of God, there go I. And that's true. You know, we don't want to look at people and, 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 and judge them harshly and condemn them and that type of thing. But you know what? We should be encouraging people, especially that we're living in the day of, of the Lord's coming. It's not time. Listen, you're, you're going you're gonna to lose what you have. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about you might lose, you might lose your spouse. You continue in this life. She's going to get fed up. She's going to say, I'm tired of the pornography. I put up with it long enough. You've cheated on me. You've cheated on me with numerous women. You do it on the phone or on the computer. But you've cheated against me. Oh, I would never want to hear that from my wife. Or a husband saying to his wife, I remember having a lady come in. She said, I, I'm addicted to gambling. And I said, oh, she said, it's bad. And I said, how bad? She said, I've spent All of our money. She said, I've, I've gambled away $50,000. There's no money left. My husband doesn't know. I came here to ask for prayer because I'm going home to tell him. And I know what this will mean for our marriage. It's over. Because it's not just the money. It's that he lied to me. Or I lied to him in this case. That was the last illustration. I lied to him. And I'll tell you, you can't have a good marriage if there's not trust. If you can't trust each other. Guys, my heart is heavy as I look at these things. Again, you can say, well, I'm familiar with this. You know, it would be so nice to just simply say, you know, here's the meaning of it. We preach the gospel, the seed goes out, some will receive, some will not receive. But that's not what it's teaching. That surely would apply here, but that's not what it's teaching. If we limit this parable and parables like this to simply hearing the gospel, receiving it or rejecting it and going your way, you're missing the point altogether. Because it doesn't say gospel. It says word. It says the word of God. And so the believer, and this is why I'm, I'm kind of hard on you guys, I guess. Because as believers, we should exhort one another. We should challenge one another. We should encourage one another. The time is short. The enemy is a thief. He wants to rip people off. We could, you know, when we toy around with the word of God, there is a day of reckoning. There always is a a day of reckoning. And I'll tell you, this, the first uh, few months, uh, the last few months of last year and this month, you know, there have been people who, are losing what they counted dear. And it doesn't have to be that way. 
I told Tracy, she asked me yesterday, she said, or Friday, I guess it was, she says, what's wrong? You seem heavy-hearted. My wife is very discerning. My little granddaughter, Fallon, she said to me, Papa, what's wrong? And I said, oh, nothing. She goes, are you tired? And I said, yeah, I'm a little tired. I said, why do you ask? She says, because your voice is low. She heard my voice. But Tracy said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm full of a lot of anxiety right now. I just feel very anxious about, and she says, well, tell me what. And I said, well, I, I don't, you know. So she drug it out of me, you know. <laughs> and I said, I'm anxious about this, and I'm anxious about that, and I'm anxious about this, and I'm anxious about that, and I'm anxious about the folks at the church, and I just want to see people grounded in the word, and I want to see them grow, and I want to see them being used by the Lord, and I'm, I'm anxious about these things because I just see the enemy coming in like a thief, and he's ripping people off, and it's almost as if they're, they're, they're unprotected, but they, they have the means to be protected from these things, but they're just not taking hold of these things. And, you know, so she prayed for me, and and I know what I need to do with anxiety. You know, we need to cast our cares upon him, for he cares for us. But we also need to be people of the word. We need to be people who are asking the Lord for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to be people who are opening up the word of God. I don't care where you're at in the word of God. I told you last week I've been reading through Job, and I've just enjoyed so much the book of Job this time through. I'm just so insightful, so many things that I've just gleaned from it. My Bibles, you know, they become unreadable after a while because I write so many notes and I circle things. And after a while, everything's circled, you know, because everything has, has meaning to it. But, but, um, but, you know, to be able to sit with the Lord and to say, Lord, it's like, Lord, your word is like a mirror. And... I, Lord, I don't want to be the guy with the booger on my nose and everyone else sees it, but I don't see it. So, Lord, as I, sorry for the graphic, but as I look into the mirror of your word, Lord, I pray that you would show me my heart. See, it's not show everyone else their thing, but me. Do you do that? He's your heavenly father. Let me wrap this up. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns, They are the ones who hear the word and the cares or the desires. That's what it literally means, the desires of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. And then, of course, then he goes on, he says, but but, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, the word literally means delight in it, and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. The cares of this life, the desire for other things. Wouldn't that be so sad? I walked with the Lord. I walked with the Lord for 20 years. Oh, we had a good run. What happened? Well, you know, my kids went astray and my marriage ended. And I just got interested in other things. Really? Is that really what the Lord means to us? Jesus asked Peter, Peter, well, he didn't ask just Peter. He asked all of them. He says, do you, do you want to leave as well? And Peter is the one who piped up and said, you know, where else could we go? I'll tell you, if you're here today and you've placed your faith in Christ and you think there's some other options, you're misguided. There is no other options. It's Jesus. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you've heard the gospel. You need to understand that every time you hear the gospel and you reject it, your heart is becoming harder and harder to the word of God. You need to understand that. I'm telling you, this is the fact. If you're a believer 
and you're in the word of God and the Lord is convicting you of different things. He's speaking to you. This isn't for everyone. This is for you. This is between you and him. This is a, this is a secret thing. This is an intimate thing between you and him. But it's a conviction of your heart. And you hold that thing dear. And you believe that to be true for you. And when you start letting go of those things and start pursuing the things of the world, we are not victims. We are not victims of our own soil. You guys come up. Soil or heart condition. We are responsible for our heart condition. We can't say, listen, I, I know that depending upon when you grow up, I'm old. So, you know, I was raised in a different world than the world that exists today. But I did not grow up believing I was a victim of anything. That I can't do this and I can't do that because I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. You're not a victim. You weren't born this way. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm, I, it's not my fault. I'm just hard-hearted. <laughs> I'm thick-headed. I, I was born this way. I can't help it. Seek the Lord. Find the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Delight in his word. Be people who read it and apply it and speak about it. And I'll tell you, you will find that they're, they're, you are bearing fruit. You say, yeah, what is that fruit? Maybe it's the fruit of peace. I live in a world that's completely fallen apart around me, but I have peace. Because my hope is in the Prince of Peace, who's going to come and rescue me from this dying, crazy culture in which I live in. Maybe it's joy. Maybe the fruit is faith, greater faith in areas. Anyway, I've wearied you guys long enough. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray. I pray, Lord, that we would just simply hear what you have to say. I, I could talk, I guess, all day, and it doesn't matter what I say, but what matters is what you say. And I pray, Lord, that by your word and your spirit, that you would speak to us, please. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Someone's car, his alarm is going off. So. <laughs>